Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Linda Hall about meditation and how to focus on the mind-body connection and stress management as a tool that runners can use to recover faster, decrease their risk of running injury, and hopefully even recover from overtraining injuries. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Now, Linda has a really interesting approach, and I actually found her through a very specific meditation series that is designed for runners. And I really wanted to have her on the show today because she has an incredible amount of knowledge and background that can really help runners. And it's not something that I hear coaches or other doctors talk about frequently, just about how anyone who is developing any sort of injury related to stress or needs some stress management that could help them actually recover faster from physical ailments, how they can really draw on that mind-body connection to facilitate that. So I'm really glad to have Linda on the show. And Linda, thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. Well, listen, I know that you have a a really wide range of experience, beginning with holistic massage and then really working more on this whole idea of really focusing the mind-body connection and stress management. Maybe you just give us um, a description of your experience and and how you became interested in this field. I stumbled, if you like, into the massage field by receiving massage myself when I'd been overdoing things at the gym. I'd led a very driven and very physical orientated life. Uh, I was very fit and worked a 12-hour day as a craftsman and really was completely out of touch with my body and pushed myself and would injure myself and so forth. And I was really um, blown away by my first massage. And at some point, I wanted a, a change in direction for my career, and I felt I was getting too isolated. So I trained in holistic massage, and from there trained as a subtle energy healer or intuitive healer, as it's sometimes called. And during those years, I became much more aware of how the mind and the body are one. They're one whole. They're not disconnected. They can feel disconnected because maybe we've learned to get out of touch with our body for all sorts of reasons. And I learned the benefit of getting more in touch with what the body houses, the emotions, the body's memory, if you like, and as a way to release stress and get to know yourself more. Now, Somewhere along the road, a few years down the road, I, as as a legacy of driving myself too hard for many years, and also a bit of genetic predisposition thrown in, I became ill with chronic fatigue syndrome, ME. Uh, Some people call it burnout. And through the years that I, over the years that I had that, um, which was about eight and a half, I became aware that the practice of meditation really helped my system to move back towards balance. From there, I got interested in mindfulness and I learned that mindfulness helped me become aware of what was stressing me, what was stressing my body, I should say, because when you stress your body, you're stressing every part of you. Uh, It could have been thoughts, the way I was thinking, the way I was behaving. And it gave me a way to sit back from things and get a different perspective 
and begin to look after my needs more. About six and a half years into my having chronic fatigue syndrome, remortgaging my house a couple of times in order to pay for expensive treatments from so-called specialists, I, I stumbled across people who really did understand my condition. And they were a clinic whose approach was to combine the practice of mindfulness and psychology with the with nutrition supplements that sort of thing they recognize that any state of ill health affects the mind and the emotions as well as the body and so you have to treat both so I trained as a, a psychology practitioner as an NLP practitioner and clinical hypnotherapist and personal life coach and from there I went on to teach meditation I teach meditation and mind-body awareness and coaching to a lot of people who have, who are managing chronic illness or who have many uh, chronic illness to help them manage their symptoms and support their recovery. So mind-body awareness and mindfulness and meditation are really powerful tools to balance the body's nervous system. What I have seen is that there are interesting groups of runners, and because I'm based in the United States, much of it has to do, I think, with two things. Part of it is the drive that endurance athletes have to develop in order to be successful. They have to be very focused and very disciplined, and many times we sort of have this almost badge of honor of self-deprecation in terms of physical workouts, that the harder we push ourselves, the more successful we will be. That also, of course, in places like San Francisco, where it's extremely expensive to live, people are very driven. I'm sure there's much of the same thing in London. These people do the same thing in their business and personal lives as well. They're very, very scheduled, overscheduled, overstressed, overworked, and they, they start to eliminate the mind-body connection as as a strategy. And I think that that actually ties into the Western medical approach, which is highly specialized and compartmentalized. And it's widely dismissed, I think, by physicians, at least, at least in the United States. You know, as physicians, we're taught you fix that problem. And much the same way as an automobile mechanic would fix a car. You fix the broken alternator, you fix the flat tire, you fix the wheel bearing, whatever is broken. And we actually, when I see doctors at medical conferences discussing these things, it's, it's the same approach. They all talk about that specific problem, and they never talk about, ever, about the amount of cortisol circulating in the patient's bloodstream as a result of the stress that has accumulated from their overscheduled lifestyles and even the stress associated with that disease state that sets upon them. How do they start to get themselves back into that? You know, because many athletes, it really is about drive for them. And so many of them will actually try to just eliminate the mind-body connection, either training specifically with loud music or do these workouts on spin bikes and even when running on a treadmill with sort of a guided routine, almost like being in a spin class, but on a computer. And that further removes that whole connection because then they're focused on this other thing other than how they actually feel. How do they head back in the right direction? Well, what we're looking at through mindfulness and practices uh, like meditation is preventative healthcare. So it enables you to do 
what you are engaged with, whether it's thinking a thought and act, having an activity, engaging with an activity like running or sport or writing, working. It enables you to engage with that activity in a safer way uh, within your limitations, within safe limitations. That is, the more in touch you are with how your body is responding to what you're doing and to how you're thinking, the thoughts you're having, then it gives you choices. And for instance, if you notice that you're, as you're working, you're holding your breath in, mindfulness is a way of just simply becoming more aware in the present moment from a sitting back place and noticing that you're holding your breath in. So it gives you the choice of letting your breath out. You'll notice the discomfort perhaps that comes from pushing yourself too hard, not just a physical discomfort like tension or tightness, but the emotional discomfort that can come from that, like feeling a bit speedy inside or beginning to feel a bit overwhelmed. So you can, again, use that awareness to sit back, breathe out and take a little bit of space for yourself take things at a different pace. And in order to practice mindfulness, you really don't have to enroll on an expensive or arduous course to train in mindfulness. All it takes is every day just pausing in the moment, uh, not just when you're running, for instance, or doing whatever activity you're hoping to make easier or improve by practicing mindfulness, but during any time during the day, pausing, noticing where you are in your head, because where you are in your head, your body will be too, even if you're not aware of that. Even if you've cut off from your body, every thought you have sends zillions of messages instantly through neural pathways and to connect to cellular memory that triggers hormones and chemicals which you'll experience as feelings or sensations. And it will take you into a particular state. It'll perhaps trigger what's called the body's stress response or the relaxation response. And I think we ought to look at those two natural bodily responses in a moment uh, more in detail to see the real main benefits of practicing mindfulness and meditation to help you not only do what you're doing safely with awareness, so you're in the moment, and as I said, you're in touch with what's happening to your body. We all know that accidents happen, whether it's at home or in sport or doing anything, when we're not aware, when we're not mindful and paying attention. It not only helps us do whatever we're doing more safely, but with less energy, and it helps us to release tension. Tension is a big energy eater. It helps us to release anxiety. Uh, anxiety is a big energy eater. So if we're anxious about something, if we're already tense, that's using up a whole load of energy that could be going into what we want to do, like running. So I think in short, when we're looking to support the body to operate effectively, whether it's healing an injury or engaging in an activity, that physical process is supported by positive, relaxed state of mind. And mind-body awareness and mindfulness supports that process on several crucial levels. And I think to understand it more, we need to look at the role of the, the body's autonomic nervous system. Now, the autonomic nervous system is part of our nervous system that operates automatically outside our, our conscious awareness. And it regulates all 
our body's major natural systems, <clears throat> including breathing, heart rate, blood pressure, and digestion. And it also affects the immune system, which is interesting, and the body's ability to repair. So that obviously plays a really important part in helping people recover from running injuries. So the nervous system is divided into two branches. The sympathetic branch governs what's called the stress response, sometimes known as fight or flight, because it puts the body on us in a state of high alert. It originally evolved to keep us safe from danger, and it helps us to respond quickly to unexpected situations, like if we're about to step onto the road and a car is about to cross our path, it helps us stay safe and step back on the road quickly. Um, it triggers a release of stress hormones, which can be like cortisol and adrenaline, which can be really useful in terms of helping keeping us going and they can mask pain. So I know from my own experience of having exercised down at the gym that it can be used as a way, you know, when we've been driving ourselves to a point where uh, we feel like we're performing well, uh, we lose touch with actually what our limitations are, what we can do. And any discomfort and pain perhaps that's going on underneath the surface is possibly being masked by the release of those stress hormones. So it can help and hinder us. The other branch of the nervous system, the parasympathetic branch, governs the relaxation response, which promotes healing and is the body's natural restore and repair mode. The relaxation response is seen as the optimum state for healing. This is the state we want to be in when we're healing injuries in order to allow the body the best possible chance of repair. One of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast was to talk about the sort of the possible link between training injuries and chronic illness. And I haven't really found much written about this, but later this week, I'm giving a lecture at the International Foot and Ankle Foundation meeting, and specifically the, the topic is recidivism in runners and what doctors can do to prevent re-injury. And I was doing all this research about running injuries and what really links people to injury. And there are, if you just do a search on Medline in the medical literature of the terms running and injury, there are well over a thousand peer-reviewed articles in medical journals. But if you actually look through them and you then distill them down to all of the large studies that are actually well-controlled that show statistical significance, there's only about 17. And then if you take all of the dozens of different factors for injuries and you look at them, all these things that we hear about, about running too much, about advancing our training too quickly, all of these things, there are actually only three things that show up that have been proven to be statistically related to an increased risk of injury. Two of them being a male runner who runs more than 40 kilometers a week and the other is a history of previous injury and I see so many runners who get injured over and over and over and they seem to try to adjust for whatever the problem was the malalignment or the error they were making in training yet they continue to get different injuries and so I actually have become curious if some of these runners aren't suffering from what amounts to some form of 
chronic stress and chronic fatigue that's forcing these injuries to come out in these different forms. It seems like that could be the case, although I haven't found any studies that relate to that. It certainly seems that way when I see all these runners. That's a very interesting hypothesis. I could certainly see how prolonged stress on the body's systems through pushing for too long, uh, too hard, too long, is linked to chronic illness, a breakdown, because it suppresses the immune response. Work done in the field of psychoneuroimmunology shows a direct link between psychological states and immune function. Yeah, this is well documented too. I mean, the medical yes. literature, there is lots and lots of evidence in published studies that actually show when patients actually even do meditation or mindfulness practices of some variety, their serum levels of cortisol go down. They basically have an improvement in terms of their biochemical profile that would support healing versus one of a chronic state of stress. Absolutely. We find with people who become ill with chronic fatigue, there are certain personality types, achiever types, perfectionist types, as well as the anxiety types and chronic helper types. But it's very often the achiever types and the perfectionists who have learned not to listen to what we might describe as being normal, healthy limitations, uh, signals that their bodies give out that they need to just pull back a bit, rest, eat a meal, have a drink of water and so forth. I can see how someone who has a history of injury through not taking care of themselves, through not being mindful, through not taking their well-being into account, could also go on to develop some form of chronic illness because their immune responses is constantly being suppressed. How do you coach people to do that? If someone is one of those really driven type A personalities, they really do have this belief system that has been reinforced with achieving specific goals as long as they work hard enough and dedicate themselves enough, but then they develop some sort of burnout or overtraining, stress-related, whatever you want to call it, uh, syndrome, how do you get those people to really start this mindfulness approach? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You'll have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's gonna be on time. Two, he's gonna be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are gonna result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. 
How do you get those people to really start this mindfulness approach? Because I have talked to lots of those kind of athletes who truthfully will say they've tried meditation, but they can't sit still long enough to do it. And they obviously have to make some big shift to even begin. So how do you get someone started on that path? Uh, Slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Generally speaking, with someone, the sort of people that I I work with who have chronic illness, they've become, through being ill and through being anxious about being ill and their life having changed through discomfort, pain, anxiety, frustration, impatience, self-criticism, they have become aware of their body being in a state of stress. So there is a big incentive. Perhaps there's a bigger incentive to begin with for them to put into practice something new than there is for somebody perhaps who's doing fine, but has been told, well, this is going to be good preventative medicine for you. I think that an incentive might be for that sort of person, for the person who hasn't perhaps developed an injury yet and is doing okay, but wants to look after themselves, is that they're going to perform. It actually can enhance their performance through helping them release stress, through helping them engage with the activity of running so that they're they're running less on adrenaline and more on or as much on their natural energy fuel tanks. It'll take less out of them. Um, Through engaging with something like a practice like meditation just for five minutes, it can make a real difference. You don't have to sit for 20 minutes. Just sitting and becoming aware of your breathing, perhaps beginning to slow it down without trying to direct your breath or force your breath to change, but just coming down into your breath and allowing the out breath to become more so, so that as you breathe out, your body begins to release some of the tension. Along these same lines, Mark Allen is a maybe one of the most famous triathletes of all time. And for years, he was trying to win the Ironman World Championships. And yet for years, Dave Scott kept going home with all the titles. And Mark started working with a guy, Brent Secunda, who's a well, Weechol Indian shaman. And he started doing these intensive meditation sessions and spiritual healing sessions with Brant. And he attributes his immediate change in success to going in the middle of what was his biggest training block in the summer to actually go on these retreats and do this work that was really meditation and spiritual healing. And he said um, that his training partners, his friends who were triathletes, they all thought he was crazy because he was taking time off in his biggest build phase to go off and do these meditation things. And yet now Mark and Brant work together to actually teach athletes how to use these techniques because it was instrumental for him and it was life-changing for him. And then he won the world championships over and over and over after that. And, and he talks about how he had this sort of sense of release that allowed him to actually then perform at his highest level and that he'd been held back. And it's really interesting. Absolutely. If you think in terms of how that would have allowed him to release emotional and physical and mental stress, which would have freed him up to be more focused um, during his run and also would have created less tension during it within his body for his run. So all his energy, all his focus could just go into his activity and his goal. And it's interesting that Olympic athletes, part of their training 
is visualizing winning and visualizing positive states and, and really exploring positive mindsets and creating positive anchors, which help train not only the, the body, but the mind to get to where it wants to. Because if you see every experience that we have as being recorded in the body by neural pathways, what you're doing is through focusing on positive images in your mind and through making positive statements about your performance, strengthening the neural pathways that will help you get there. And the more you do that, the more that can become a habit. So you can use positive self-talk, positive visualization, not just about your performance. Imagine yourself, for instance, performing in the way just as you know you should be mindfully, with joy, you could say, and as much ease as possible. Just really hold that visualization in your mind and keep bringing it back. Think of certain phrases that you can say to yourself that will support you to take you there. Because we all know that if we tell ourselves that we're not going to be good at anything, well, that's what's going to happen. This is an interesting segue because I think so many athletes understand and appreciate this. Many of them, they know about, but study with basketball, free throw players who basically had as much improvement if they just spent time visualizing successfully making free throws as those who actually did the practice. And they're aware of all of these ideas about positive visualization, about actually achieving your goal. And they ascribe to that. They understand that it works. Yet they also will say that because they're overworked and overscheduled, they don't have time to do meditation specifically. And then I think that sort of accelerates in the wrong direction. So maybe you could just talk a little bit more about the idea of neurolinguistic programming to really help calm the chaos of the mind that could potentially lead us down this path of an overtraining injury or chronic sure. fatigue or any of that. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um when they come down into their body during meditation and do something called practice something called grounding, which is simply getting in touch with the surface beneath their body and feeling their connections to the ground beneath them, it's likely to give them a similar sense of being present in a in a vital way as running does. Although though they won't feel as high, after a while, if they stick with meditation, they probably will begin to enter bliss states, which can feel very nourishing. I think it's good when you're first starting out in meditation, find a good teacher, follow a class, or get a guided meditation audio. And keep it really simple. Don't even think about having to change your belief system or practice, as I said, for 20 minutes a day, just five minutes of sitting and allowing your breathing to help release stress, feeling the weight of your body, the steadiness beneath it, and just becoming aware of the simple tapestry of the here and now around you, the air on your face. It helps give the mind something to occupy itself with that is neutral and calming. When we're running or during any other activity, or even when we're not doing anything in particular, our brain tends to take over, doesn't it? And a lot of the time, it's likely we're having thoughts which cause us some sort of anxiety or tension in some way, because that's the nature of, of being a human being. You're looking, at, looking out for yourself and looking, sometimes looking at the worst case scenario and what's having, happening next. Now, those thoughts, as I mentioned right at the beginning of this interview, will affect 
how your body is, where you go in your head, you go in your body as you're running. And if you're having thoughts that are, are a bit stressful, you're going to tighten up without you even being aware of it necessarily. All the muscles in your body create added tension, which is going to make you more open to injury. That's interesting. Do you have specific meditations on your site that are programs that guide people through that process of developing those anchors and teaching them how to do that? Well, not overtly, I should say. Uh, my uh, my guided meditations, I describe them as being a combination of of mindfulness, mind body awareness, NLP practices, and a little bit of self uh, hypnotherapy. So, although there isn't anything specific, almost I would say, say that all my guided meditations include that. There's a lot of simple neuro-linguistic programming, which you can do for yourself. Some of your listeners may have heard of something called an anchor. An anchor is like an association, and the body's forming natural associations all the time. Like, for instance, when we hear the crackling of a sweetie paper, we may naturally salivate at the um, expectation of eating the, the delicious sweet. And it can be a really useful thing to create what's called a positive anchor to support you during a specific activity that perhaps you want to stay calm during or you want to feel positive. Perhaps you're a bit nervous about it. And the idea is that you bring to mind when you're, you don't have to put much time into this as just before you drift off to sleep, bring to mind something that induces the very states that you want to achieve. It may be the sight of a lovely sunset or being with your favorite pet and really allow yourself to feel the feel-good feelings that you have when you bring these positive things to mind. And you can take that just before you go to sleep. You can also bring in the thought of the activity you're about to do or you're thinking of doing that perhaps you're a little bit nervous about or you want to stay calm during. And you just hold those two things together in your mind, the positive anchor and what your uh, the activity you're going to be involved in. And then when you go to do the activities, bring in again the image and the feeling with you from that positive anchored. And the chances are it will induce, it'll bring with it, it'll induce the same positive state that you want, either to feel calm and steady or feel more confident or whatever. And that's a really quite a simple way to create your own positive anchor. What we haven't touched on yet, and I'd really like to briefly, is the role of self-compassion and being kinder to yourself in all of this. That, I because, think, is useful, um, yeah. I know we could have a whole interview on that, but when we're in that achiever state, when we're pushing ourselves too hard without realizing it, we're actually being unkind to ourselves. Um, we're, our body is the best friend we can have, and if we treated um, our friends like we do our bodies or ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends. So self-compassion, learning to be kinder to yourself, doesn't come overnight, but it's something you develop, can lift a whole burden of stress on the body and, and psychologically as well. That's interesting. So yeah, I've seen t-shirts. I, I remember seeing a t-shirt someone was wearing in the gym that said, this is going to hurt, so shut up and take it. And I think <laughs> athletes really do internalize that approach many times when they're working out. And uh, that's not compassionate to oneself. 
I would say. It's curious, isn't it? We're still um, living partly in the no pain, no gain era of the, when was it, the 90s, I think. What's, what can ground self-compassion and the act of visualising positive images in our minds rather than creating scary movies is to just remind ourselves that we're chemical-making factories. We're producing stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, which can really work against us or sometimes work for us. And we can also produce feel-good endorphins and opiates, which are natural painkillers, can enhance our performance and stay in our system for several hours and lift our mood. I think you have a CD or a download, MP3 download, that's uh, Meditations for Life. It actually is about relaxation and self-healing. It actually is designed to do that, to help you with a self-healing meditation and actually increasing more of those feel-good and healing endorphin circulations, right? Yes, absolutely. There's, there's an audio of mine called um, Feeling Good, which is is designed to trigger the release of endorphins. And I've also created a whole program to support recovery from any chronic illness. And now I'm thinking during this this interview that it could also be appropriate for repairing from any chronic injury because you're dealing with recovering on a number of different levels when you have a serious injury, especially psychological, physical, emotional, and you need to address each of those levels and, and mind-body awareness, meditation, and simple mind-body techniques, if you like, throughout your day can really help support not just managing pain and discomfort or frustration of having an injury, but they really do support in the long term the healing process. And recovery. There's this huge void right now for runners in that respect, because I think there is some awareness that these techniques are helpful. But I think that there's this interesting thing with runners where they they haven't really let go of that almost self-abuse, you know, idea. And they don't really know, I think, how to transition many times to, you know, really, because it's interesting. They'll say, well, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to train hard, and I'm going to take care of myself. But they're kind of really not taking care of themselves. Yeah. They're probably popping handfuls of vitamins. I mean, how if, if you're cut off from your body to an extent that you've got music blaring loudly and you're just pushing, pushing, pushing to allow the adrenaline to mask any discomfort, how are you going to give your best performance? And how are you going? Because at some level, the, the stress response is going to be so high, which is interesting. And of course, it's more likely you'll be vulnerable to injury because you're just not being attentive. Running mindfully can help you really enhance your enjoyment. You know, when you're running outside, you don't want to be cut off from it, which is what happens with headphones on. You want to be enjoying the, the sky and the trees and the feel the ground beneath you and the wind on your cheek. Those can really help it become a much more joyous experience. I think that's true. It just seems like such a, a difficult thing for so many runners because I do discuss this frequently with uh, athletes who have been injured and they, in large part, they believe that it works. They know it works. They just don't really know what to do. You really have some approaches that can be extremely useful and and easy to incorporate. I think that's part of it is that I've heard so many runners say, well, maybe I should start with doing Bikram yoga because it's very physical. But then they say, you know, but I don't have an hour and a half to go to a 
Bikram yoga class several times a week. And so they just then give up. And your approach of just saying, well, really, if you could do five minutes, you would get enormous benefits. And you don't have to learn how to do it. You can do one of your guided meditations and not have to try to figure it out. Most runners don't need to go figure out how to do their whole training plan. They can get a coach to do that. Yeah, absolutely. A good starting point to visit my YouTube channel. I have, oh, I don't know how many dozens of guided meditations of different lengths from five minutes to 10 minutes is quite a popular length. They cover everything from mood lifting meditations to the sort of meditations which help you manage anxiety thinking, difficult emotions, that sort of thing, help you deal with any self-critical habits you have. And meditations, just focusing on breathing, you name it, it's there. Actually, there's one specifically for runners as well. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes so that they can go directly to it. So we'll make sure that link is available for them. And and of course, we'll also have links to your site where they can get some of these download resources that you've created as well. For those runners who want to try to make this shift, who want to try to figure out how to perform better by expending less energy. And that is one of the things I do know runners understand. And I think it was Peter Reed, but there was a a professional triathlete who, in an interview, they said, what did you do differently to finally win the world championships? And he said, I walked less on the week of the race. And I said, what do you mean you walked less? And and he said, well, it's really simple. Uh, Normally, we show up and we go to interviews and we go wander around the expo. And he said, I drove as close to every single thing and I didn't go to anything that wasn't essential because there's only so much energy to go around and I wanted to use it on race day. And if you take all of this energy and you put it into stressful tension, anxiety, all of this sort of spinning thoughts about all of the things you need to do and you're not able to clearly focus, that's all energy that's being expended and that's energy that can be used for increased athletic performance. It's energy that can be used to heal damaged tissue from your training, normal course of training or from an injury, but there is only so much energy to go around. In terms of people trying to reach out to you directly to get coaching from you, to get more help, to get your guided meditations, what's the best site for them to go to? The best site is my YouTube channel, uh, Linda Hall Guided Meditation. There's a wide range of free resources, as I mentioned. They can also contact me. There's a link through to my website and they can drop me an email from there get in touch. I mean, you have an incredibly popular YouTube channel. I think the last time I looked, you had over two and a half million views or something crazy like that. So I know it's a very popular channel. So obviously you provided an enormous amount of benefit to millions of people already. Uh, But I think that there's certainly a large group of our audience who understands and knows that this is something that actually could benefit them if they can just realize that it really doesn't take as much time to start reaping benefits from self-guided meditation, from some neuro-linguistic programming, that they really can get an enormous benefit in a very, very small expenditure of time. Yes. And they can use the the skills that they've learned, all the... I mean, they're soft skills. They're, they're things that they, they already know how to do, but they don't necessarily do them consciously. They can take these skills into their day-to-day life as life tools throughout their day as something that just becomes more as a natural thing to help them look after themselves better, manage their energy and all of that stuff. 
Well, Linda, it's really been fantastic having you on the show. I'm grateful that you're able to take time out of your schedule and and come on for the interview and share all of your knowledge and background with our runners today. Are there any final thoughts you have for runners? Be present, have hope, be positive, be kind to yourself, and you'll get there quicker than if you're hard on yourself and you push yourself too hard. That's something that we probably all know, but we don't all necessarily do. Thanks again for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll be able to have you back again uh, to talk about some of these topics in even more depth later on individually, because I think there's really a lot to cover here that's really an untapped area for runners to develop not only better performance, but you know, better peace and balance within their own lives. Thank you, Chris. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.